Welcome to the Baseball America podcast, our first uh, college podcast of the 2016 season. I'm Teddy Cahill. Here with me, Mike Lanana and Jim Schonard, and we're here to talk about the the top 25. The preseason top 25 was released today, and so you know, it's an exciting time. College baseball is is uh, just a few weeks away. The top 25 is the the first thing you know we we do here at Baseball America to to get started with the college season. So you know the the preview is is rolling out starting today. The we'll have capsules on all of the top 25 teams, five per day uh, for the rest of this week. The next week you'll see the All America teams and our conference previews will start up. So it, there's a lot going on, a lot of college content over at BaseballAmerica.com. And are you guys uh, are you guys ready for the season to get going? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I just hope it's a little warmer than it was last year. Can't be any worse than last year. Yeah. I was talking to when I was talking to Coach O'Connor from Virginia, who got their first month of home games wiped out last year, and and joked, you know, can't be any worse than last year. But you know, knock on wood. So hopefully they hopefully they have some better luck. Hopefully we all have better luck. I mean, it was such a mild winter at the start, and now all of a sudden we're getting all these winter storms. And I know a lot of the coaches early on were, were saying that, you know, why couldn't this weather be what they would have in February? So, you know, hopefully this is just getting it out of the way and get some warmer weather here for February 19 on, on opening day. You know, obviously we're, we're all excited about that, and, and the, these coaches are, are ready to get going, and, and, and so are the players. You know, so the... The top 25 this year is, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting one. There are there are a lot of really good teams here and, and a lot of really good good programs that, that have been good and, and are looking to get back to Omaha. Uh, you know, number one this year is Florida. It's the third time the Gators have been uh, preseason number one. Uh, they, were, they were number one in 2011 and, and 2012. And then number two is Louisville. And, it, you know, it just seemed like the, the, those were the top two teams for us, uh, that, that they had separated. The, those two teams had separated based on talent and, you know, what they did last year. Uh, Florida getting to the College World Series and, and Louisville having a lot of success in the ACC their first year in the conference, but, you know, ultimately falling in super regionals. So when, you, when we look at these teams, it, it, it's, there's just so much returning talent. The, the Gators have their entire weekend rotation back. Louisville returns most of its pitching staff and, and a lot of offense, and the Gators have a lot of offense. And you know, it, it just really does look like these two teams are, are the, the best two in, in, in the college game right now. Yeah, I think they're both a, a clear class above everyone else. You know, when we, when we started with the top 25, we knew from the get-go, okay, Florida number one, Louisville number two. And with the rest, there's a little more, you know, arguing and bickering and all of that. But, you know, you look at these two teams, and it's just amazing the, the depth that they have. You know, and a lot of that with Florida, I mean, they, were, they had a lot of young talent last year that's a little bit older now. And, you know, obviously they returned that entire weekend rotation, which is going to be scary. I mean... You know, everyone talks about AJ Puck, but Logan Shore is—he's—he's he's a monster. So, and then you look at Louisville and getting Kyle Funkhauser back, which you know, obviously we've—that's something we've discussed a lot in the past. But you know, it's not something they were necessarily expecting before the draft and before that one month kind of plummeted his draft, draft stock. So, you know, they're two two scary teams, like you said. It's going to be fun to see which one ends up. I think they're both Omaha teams. 
Yeah, I mean, but like you're saying, I mean, Virginia, I mean, Louisville is just, uh, I mean, that's just a loaded team. Certainly Florida is too. And it feels like last year we kind of had, I remember last year we had Vanderbilt and LSU kind of as a clear-cut top two. And this sort of reminded me of that a little bit where you had two teams at the top and then you have this little, you know, you kind of you could argue a little bit after that. And But, yeah, I mean, with those two teams, I mean, it'd be, it would be a surprise if they're not up there all year. Yeah, when we look at Florida, you know, it, it, I think it starts with the pitching. You know, Mike mentioned uh, Shore and Puck, and uh, you know, Alex Fajardo's back too, and, and and he was very successful on Sundays as a freshman. Uh, but with Shore on Friday night, you know, it's just a very consistent performer, and he's done it almost you know his entire career. He he was the Friday starter during his freshman season, which is exceedingly rare in the SEC. Uh, and then Puck, you know, is a little better uh, pro prospect, and he was absolutely dominant in the second half of last season. You know, once he came back from his his suspension, uh, you know, the the whole way through, it was he, he was he was very instrumental to that team getting to Omaha and winning the SEC tournament. Uh, but you know, it, it is uh, their their offense is very talented as well. Buddy Reed is is electric there in center field. And J.J. Schwartz behind the plate at 18 home runs as a freshman. And Mike Rivera also, you know, behind the plate. Uh, very good for for Florida as a freshman. And, and Peter Alonzo, if he can stay healthy, that, that gives them more power, you know, over at first base. And they had the number two recruiting class in the country, just adding, you know, more talent to a team that, that really didn't need it. Um, I mean, you can't have too much talent, but they, uh, you know, the, the, the talent level – in Gainesville right now is is really impressive, but you can't overlook what Louisville has because you know, like Mike mentioned, you got Funkhauser back. You have the freshman of the year, Brendan McKay, who's you know an outstanding two way player. Corey Ray in the outfield is uh, you know every bit as good as as Buddy Reed and, and maybe a little bit better even. And you know, just up and down both of those lineups are are plenty of players that that impact the game in, in a lot of different ways. And I don't know right now uh, what would happen if, if they played on a, you know, if they had a, a series, but, but I know that would be very exciting. And if we do get that in Omaha, you know, even just a matchup, I, I think that would be great for, for fans, you know, the, the way it's shaping up right now, what, what we think these two teams can be. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, you look at Louisville and, you know, everyone talks about Ray, but they do have a lot of balance in that lineup too. They, have, they bring back Solak and, you know, Brennan McKay really came into his own as a, as a cleanup hitter late last year and had a nice, you know, underrated year with the bat. You know, obviously he's a pitching prospect first, but, you know, he's certainly someone who could hit well in the middle of the order. And I know they're excited about what Devin Harrison is doing at shortstop, taking over for, for Sutton Whiting there. Um, had a had an up-and-down year as a freshman last year. So And then you can't ignore the bullpen. You know, Nick Birdie there in the back end, you know, throwing 98-99 with a, a nasty slider. I mean, you know, one of the best, one of the best relievers in college baseball, you could argue. So, yeah, they're certainly both both teams. You certainly wouldn't want to face them on a weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, one thing about you know both of these teams too is that um, you know they we, we saw a lot of some of these guys uh, during the summer with, with Team USA, and you know they were by and large were the stars of Team USA too. I mean, it's it, it's the guys that are are you're going to see get get picked pretty high in the draft. Jimmer, what, what, what did you think of um, the Gators over the last few years? You know, they've, they've 
had teams like this before. You know, they had they've had preseason number ones. They've had weighty expectations. You know, do, do you think that the the program is uh, you know kind of used to this by now? Well, certainly the coaching staff should be. I mean, the players. I mean, last year. I mean, they were so young last. They were. I mean, they were, they were very young last year, relative relative to the, relatively uh, speaking. I mean, when they got to Omaha with the. Um, you know, you had the you know Mike Zanino and that core. They got to Omaha three year, Omaha three years in a row, and by then they were pretty used to it. But obviously, they've kind of had to re you know restock the cupboard. I mean, that never really stops. I mean, that way the, the way they recruit. But yeah, I mean the way they last year in Omaha, they kind of ran into some more experienced teams, teams that had been there before. Whereas they were the players anyway. They were the newcomers compared to you know with TCU and Vandy and uh, Virginia. So this year, I mean. With all these guys coming back, with as loaded as talented as they are, with Puck and you know Fado and all those guys, and you know Shore, obviously. I mean, that's they they're. I mean, they'll be favored every weekend. They should win. I mean, it's hard to imagine them losing as long as they stay healthy. It's hard to imagine them losing many series. I mean, it's going to be they're they they. I mean, there's they're just they're both they're them and Louisville. They're both loaded, and like I said, now Florida has the experience on its side. So when they you know, provided if they get to Omaha, they won't, you know, nothing will be, no, there won't be any surprises for them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's no reason to think they won't be there at the end. I think one interesting thing about both of these teams is they, they kind of had disappointing ends to the season. Florida was was rolling, you know, once the postseason came around last year. They, they won the SEC tournament, and they just, they swept both regionals and super regionals. Um, but then in they Omaha, ran into Ron, they ran into Brandon Waddell, right? In Omaha, <laughs> the guy they, who's been there. They run smack into Virginia, and you know, but they were dominating teams in Omaha that weren't Virginia. They yeah, uh, they, they lost one to nothing to Virginia and five to four, and every other game they were scoring double digit runs. Exactly. I mean, they yeah they torched Miami. I mean, they torched Andrew Suarez, a great pitcher himself, and but like kind of. I mean, notice we'll talk a little bit more about Virginia later, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just they ran into a team that knew how to win there. Not that Florida doesn't, but because obviously said so they did win a couple of games, but they they ran into kind of a team that wasn't going to be cowed by the by you know by the bats and all the talent Florida was throwing at them. And Louisville, obviously, uh, you know, hosting a super regional, hosting Fullerton, comes all the way across the country, and and then the way that that game, you know, that series ended, Mike, you were there for that. You know, I mean, that that has to stick with Louisville a little bit, right? Yeah, no, it's it's certainly still in their minds, and I I just had a conversation with Kyle Funkhauser a couple of days ago, and you know he was talking about the emotions from that night, and you know for those who who didn't see how it ended, it ended on a in extra innings on a ball that may or may not have been fair, it, it just scraped the foul pole. Um, it was it was tough to see even from replays, and that's obviously you know a tough way to lose. Um, you know, it was a, it was a hard fought series for both teams and, you know, tip your cap to Cal State Fullerton. They're a, a gritty, gutty team and, you know, that's what they did. And, you know, they, they overachieved in some ways last year, of course, having Thomas Eshelman helped, but no, I mean, I know Louisville has, has a chip on their shoulders coming into this year. You know, they had made it their goal, um, in 2012 to go to Omaha three years in a row and they were, you know, a ball just being fair, you know, inside the foul pole away from, from doing that. So certainly they're all they're all thinking about Omaha coming into this year and getting back there. Well, I know we're going to talk a lot about Florida and Louisville all year long. So let's move on and uh, let, let's let's talk about some of these other teams. The the top 5 following those two schools, uh, you got Texas A&M, 
Virginia, the defending national champions, and uh, Oregon State, uh, who we think is uh, the team to beat out West right now. Uh, and then Miami, Vanderbilt, and Cal rounding out your, your top eight. So I guess right now um, that, that's kind of who, who we're thinking maybe is uh, the, the Omaha contenders uh, or the favorites for Omaha right now. The, the interesting thing about uh, the defending national champions is that they return an awful lot, don't mm-hmm. they, Jim? Exactly. Yeah, they have seven uh, regulars back in the from the in the um, in their oh, in their lineup. <laughs> if I can spit that out, um, yeah. I mean, they lose their third baseman Kenny Towns, and they lose Joe McCarthy. Um, obviously, they had to play a lot play with uh, play without him for quite a bit last year. If I can learn how to talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have seven guys back, seven guys that played a lot for that championship team. Um, you've got a nice core of sophomores. That, you know, Paven Smith, uh, Daniel Daniel Pinero is a junior. Adam Hazley, another sophomore. Ernie Clement, who kind of emerged last year. Some, kind of that core there with Smith, Pinero, um, Matt Thice. You know, that's a nice core to build your offense around. Um, all those guys have Omaha experience. Um, you know, spoke with Brian O'Connor a few days ago, as I mentioned, and um, you know they're very excited about Adam Hazley as a guy who's going to take a, take on a bigger role this year offensively. He's there, uh, you know, he's, he'll be their everyday center fielder as he was last year, and they'll hope to get more out of him on the mound. So he's kind of a guy to keep in mind that. And he got a, you know, I mean, he started the um, you know the second game of the championship series last year against Vandy when they were down 1-0, season on season on the line, and he was, I mean, he threw. I mean, I'm gonna say he, like he was like he had the great game of his life, but he pitched really well. For five innings, I think five six innings, and you know, obviously that's a big experience for him. So he's going to take on a bigger role. They have a lot of experience back. I mean, you kind of compare it to their um, their team from four, 2014 when they had when they brought back, you know, Down Brandon Downs, um, Mike Pappy, and that group, Brandon Cogswell, some of those guys. When we ranked uh, we ranked that team preseason number one, and the, you know, Connor, he, he, this team is position player wise, this team is in the same level as far as what they bring back the talent the experience i mean it's they're they're going to be really good offensively now the reason why they're fourth and not maybe first or second is the pitching <laughs> they get connor jones back and that's big but they lose an awful lot i mean they lose brandon waddell who we talked about who was so great in omaha they lose josh spores who was the mop of the cws last year they lose nathan kirby who was a hero of the final game of the championship series so that's those are three really big losses uh, from your pitching staff. So that's kind of – that's really the question for them is the offense is probably going to have to carry a lot of the load, at least in the first half of the season, until they get things kind of sorted out. Um, and like I said with Hazley, he's kind—he's the guy that you're going to look to to take on a bigger role on the mound. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to be – I mean, it's Virginia. Virginia's always been able to pitch. They'll figure it out. They'll be there at the end. Yeah, the, the park there obviously is a, a big help for, mm-hmm. for young pitchers uh, trying to figure it out. You know, it being a, a bit of a, a pitcher's park, a bit of a pitcher's park is probably an understatement. And, uh, you know, the, the team just has so much coming back up the middle. Uh, exactly, yeah. That was like one of the first things O'Connor pointed out is they've got both catchers back, Komen and Matt Theis. They have their middle infield back, Clement and Panero, and they have their center fielder back, Hazley. And that's... That's where you, like you said, that's where you start from. That's what you want. So that's that's where you, you kind of build from there and, and you know build out. And you know Nathan Kirby, you know went into last year as as potentially you know a player of the year type type guy, uh, but he he didn't 
have that much success uh, before he got injured, or didn't have that type of success mm-hmm. before he got injured, and then he did get injured, and they were they were able to ride that out. Exactly. And, and they had to ride they, out a lot last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they overcame so much last year that if they have you know any kind of luck this year on health, uh, you know that they, they should be they should be be well set up, and and they brought in another strong recruiting class as they always do at Virginia, Brian O'Connor and. Uh, McMullen do a great job with that, and you know, so I, I think there's a lot, there's an awful lot to like there. Connor Jones on Friday nights is, you know, going to be, you know, one of the better pitchers in the ACC probably. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna be really good. Uh, you know, the the losses are not insignificant, but I think there's a lot there to to make up for that. Yeah, no, I I, I would definitely agree with all that and I, I do really like Connor Jones I, I think he's a name that you're going to hear a lot more you know as the draft creeps closer I mean he's got electric stuff when he's on sometimes the command would get away from him last year you know there would always be one inning where you could kind of get to him he needs to try to minimize that a bit this year but certainly the the, the stuff is there and and you know he, he has everything in him to be a, a dominant Friday guy and I do think you know you look up the middle I think you know Panero is a guy that might be overlooked a little bit too. I think he brings a lot to the table and could be a really productive player for that team. Then I also mentioned uh, Vanderbilt number seven. Uh, you know that's that's the team that, that Virginia beat in the finals and the team that beat Virginia in 2014 in the finals. So you know those two teams have been back to back finalists and uh, Vanderbilt is losing an awful lot from those teams though. Um, you know, Dansby Swanson, obviously the number one overall pick in last year's draft is gone. The entire weekend rotation is gone for the Commodores. Uh, Xander Wheel, their, their first baseman, is also gone. But this is Vanderbilt, and there, there are no rebuilding years uh, at Vanderbilt these days. Uh, Tim Corbin brings in talent, like uh, incredible talent all the time. They had the number one recruiting class this fall, uh, and, and they're they have brought in a top 25 recruiting class 11 straight years, which is a record. Uh, so there, there's talent on this team, uh, no doubt. They just now have to uh, step into some, some bigger roles. And a lot of that will, will be on players, especially on the pitching side, players that have been there before, guys like Jordan Sheffield and Kyle Wright and John Kilachowski, Ben Bowden, um, just to name a few. And, and it's really just a matter of them being able to step up and, and, and take on bigger roles. But, I mean, obviously, you guys have seen this program. You, you saw what they could do out in Omaha. And, and the culture that they have at Vanderbilt under Tim Corbin is, is really exceptional. I, it, it just seems like they expect to win at all times without having, you know, massive expectations. You know, Tim Corbin works really hard to, to make sure his guys don't feel that but it, it is there exactly I mean that is I think it's kind of one of the hallmarks of that program aside so, I mean obviously they produce a lot of talent they produce high drafts every year but I mean they just their their teams just they have such such a confident they're not like a you know puff their chest out program but they they always have this just this confidence that they're going to find a way to win and no you know whatever whether that's about scoring you about Usually, usually they can outpitch you if they have, you know, when it comes down to it. But they always find a way, and like I said, they, the t- the talent just just never, the, you know, the flow just never stops coming through there. And they do have guys. I mean, you do have like guys like Will Toffee and Ro- 
Rokom Coleman, uh, Brian Reynolds, Jaron Kent, all these guys that contributed last year. They'll, they'll back. They'll carry on that culture. Obviously, they do have to t- step into bigger roles, but still, I mean, there's enough. You know, and obviously, with that coaching staff, I mean, there's enough carryover. I don't think there's there's going to be much of a much of a drop. I mean, it's that program is a well-oiled machine. I mean, Teddy, you and I, I mean, we toured the facilities when we were in Nashville for the ABCA convention, and I mean, there are no players there, but you could just see with the way you know binders are perfectly arranged on a desk, and you know just how meticulous and and you know just how exact everything is, and just you know it's just a very professional. I think it might be the best word to describe them. It's just a professional program and a professional atmosphere there. And, and you can certainly see, like Jim was talking about, the confidence that these players have, that you know, that little swagger that they have to them. But it isn't over the top for sure. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure there will be some, some a period of adjustment this year for them, you know, just because there is so much turnover. But obviously you have to like the talent on the team and have to think that by the end of the year they're going to be where we're used to seeing them. Yeah, I think this is a team, a Vanderbilt team, and this happens every few years, it seems like, with Vanderbilt, that uh, it, it's not so much about where they are right now, it's about where they're going to be in June. And with that coaching staff and that talent, I, you know, we have a lot of faith that they'll get to that level. You, know, you might see them take some lumps early on. They're going to play some young players. They're, they're missing you know, Dansby Swanson, one of the things about him beyond his incredible on-field talents is the leadership and the, you know, the, the makeup and everything that, that he brings to a team. And Carson Fulmer, the, you know, who is their Friday night starter, uh, is really the same way for the pitching staff. And, you know, and, and so losing those two guys is more than just losing you know, two top ten picks. It, it's about losing the, the leadership that, that they also provide. But you know, the guys are going to step up. And, um, you know, when I, when I spoke with Tim Corbin uh, last week, you know, he, he's not going to be the one telling guys that they have to step up. It's kind of just an understood thing, it seems like. And, you know, but, but he, he talked about how, you know, guys, they, they have plenty of other pressure that he doesn't want to add to their pressure. He wants to keep – he wants them to just to be the best players they can be. And, you know, so Vanderbilt is always – trying to balance the, the expectations of, of winning and of producing high draft picks and, and of juniors, you know, trying to, to get to those levels, uh, you know, with the, just the, the development and, and the, the, I guess the nurturing nature of, of that program. I, I, we have a lot of faith in Vanderbilt right now, I guess, but it, it is going to be more of a, what, what they're, I guess, Ranking them as high as we do, it, it, it's more about where we think they will be more than, you know, what they might do in the first few weekends as they try and figure out what their pitching roles are. Um, you know, they, they have, you know, not, not only do they have to replace three starting pitchers, but if they move, say, Kyle Wright from the bullpen to the rotation, then now you have to find a new closer. So there's a lot of moving parts there, but, you know, that staff, you know, Scott Brown uh, handles the pitching there, and you know Travis Jewett and and, and Tim Corbin, you know, they're they're going to figure it out. It's just a matter of when, I think. Uh, you know, so who else in this group do, do you guys like here? You know, we got Texas A and M also in the SEC, Oregon State out west, Cal, you know, also in the Pac-12, trying to get back to Omaha for the first time since uh, 2011, and we got Miami, 
who made it back last year for the first time in a few years. You know, who who uh, jumps out from that group for you guys? Well, as somewhat of the uh, California correspondent <laughs> on this staff, I'll, I'll talk about the uh, Pac-12 teams in this group. You know, I, I do like Oregon State and Cal a lot. I think the Pac-12 as a whole, especially at the top, is going to be really strong this year, as you can tell by looking at our rankings. You know, Oregon State last year was, was a very, very young team. Uh, it's a team that wasn't in our preseason top 25, and you know, people kept badgering us about it, you know, as the year went on and eventually, you know, they worked their way in and, uh, you know, they went through some growing pains last year, but really came together near the end, um, had a tough regional, but they return basically that entire team. I mean, they, they do lose some significant pieces in Andrew Moore, which obviously that's very significant and Jeffrey Hendricks as well in center field. But I think there's, there's more than enough talent there to, to compensate for that. And they bring in obviously a strong recruiting class too. You know, they're going to have some roles that they need to figure out. They have they have three talented infielders and in Trevor Morrison and Madrigal and, and, and Green, Greenier that they're going to try to, you know, figure out who's going to play shortstop, who's going to play second, who's going to play third. And I don't know that they have that, or at least publicly have that totally figured out yet, but they're all talented there. And obviously K.J. Harrison, you know, their, their first baseman last year had just a, a tremendous freshman year. You know, lots to like with him, a lot of power. So they're going to hit. They're going to be an offensive ball club, and I think there's there's enough pitching there with Drew Rasmussen last year, um, who as as great as KJ Harrison did on the offensive side, Rasmussen, you know, was similar pitching wise as a freshman, and you know he's going to lead that rotation, and you know they're optimistic that he's not really going to miss a beat from what Andrew Moore did last year. So they're they're a dangerous team, and a, and a team that you know you talk to the other coaches in the Pac-12, they all you know see how talented they are. That they could certainly be the team to beat, but Cal was right there with them too, bringing back Dalton Jeffries and basically, you know, most of that team, most of last year's team, um, they're going to miss uh, Urseg and, and Chris Paul in that lineup, but there's still a veteran presence there and a lot of guys returning. And you know, they're a team that's that's very motivated, you know, because you know a few years ago that program was was on its way out, and now they're back and you know, made it to the regional last year and gave Texas A&M and obviously another very strong team a run for their money. It was probably the best regional, the best TV. You know, I've, I've, I watched all of them basically. And that was, that was the one that uh, really caught my eyes. So, you know, they, there's, there's a lot to like with them. And, you know, I think you could really argue for which team is, is the better team in the Pac-12. Obviously we have Oregon State a little bit ahead, but they're both very, very strong. The, the thing about those two teams, Oregon State and Cal, and, and I'm not saying this is why uh, we think that they're the best two teams in the Pac-12, but I do love that this is the 10th anniversary of the O-State Ballers, and this is the 5th anniversary of the Cal Baseball Reinstatement Wrap. So, yeah, that's, that's a thing that, that I like. The teams on the field are obviously very talented as well. And the, the interesting thing about that, that College Station Regional is um, – you know, we got AM and, and Cal now, both both here in, in our top eight uh, going into this season, and that was one of the most closely contested regionals. AM, the whole postseason, uh, was nothing but close games. Yeah. They, they go on to the TCU to play TCU in Super Regionals, and, and in all, uh, AM played eight games in, in the NCAA tournament. They played 88 innings, and uh, five, four of those eight games went into extra innings, and five of the games. Uh, A&M was playing winner-go-home baseball. So that's a, that's a battle-tested A&M team that started off last season 24-0 uh, you know, before running into some, some more trouble in the, the SEC. So if they, uh, 
they're they're a very veteran, very experienced group, and uh, you know we expect them to to bounce back. And, and and Rob Childress has a team that that definitely can compete in the SEC now after going through that a few years. Uh, so Jimmer, that that leaves uh, Miami to you. You know what what do we got on the Hurricanes uh, as they as they try and get back to Omaha again? Well, certainly they've got they've got plenty of experience coming back. I mean, they do lose Andrew Suarez as we talked about, but you got. You know, just a stacked lineup. I mean, you guys like Willie O'Brayu, Zach Collins. I mean, there's a lot to, a lot to like in that lineup. They're just a, this is gonna be a physical, offensive team. That, I mean, and Jacob Hayward kind of had to. You know, he was a breakout guy. He was kind of a hero in Omaha last year. And you know, Carl Chester is a good athlete out in center field. I mean, there's a lot they can do. There's a lot of different ways they can score runs. I mean, we, I mean, they pretty much. Um, you know, other than you know, they, Florida kind of. That's kind of the one hump they have to get over is Florida, just historically over like the last since basically since O'Sullivan's been there. But other than that, I mean, they were just a machine offensively last year. Now they do lose, uh, you know, George Eskandarian and um, you know David Thompson, who was the uh, Thompson hit a lot of home runs. He's not there anymore. But anyway, they've still got a lot of guys back that can hit that can do some damage. They'll put up a lot of runs. Also, like we said, they do have to replace Suarez, but Thomas Woodry's a you know, just a great college pitcher, you know, lefty to have at the top of your rotation. He was huge for them last year. Um, they've got some, you know, talent. They kind of are some, relying some on some freshmen in the rest of that rotation. But, you know, they still have got talented guys. And like I said, with that offense, you've got some margin for error. And um, Brian Garcia is an experienced guy. Cooper Hammond's got experience at the back of the bullpen. So if, when they're in close games, they should be all right. I mean, yeah, I mean, them and between them and Louisville and Virginia – I mean, the top of the ACC is very going to be very strong. The uh, you mentioned Miami having to get over Florida, and one of the big, big early season series is uh, Florida goes to Miami in the second weekend of the of the season, and that is just going to be a fun, fun series. Uh, you know, to see how it unfolds, to see those two programs going at it, and you know, hopefully they don't get matched up in super regionals. You know, if the way we have it now, they, you know, I guess we would both, ha- we would have them both as national seeds. And yeah. Therefore, they would, they would avoid that. But, you know, hopefully. It has uh, been uh, the NCAA's want yeah. to put them together time and again. And, uh, you know, I know coaches hate the way, uh, you know, they, they would love to see, you know, the NCAA committee uh, seed 1 to 16 to avoid that. It's kind of crazy they don't. It oh, is. It's, it it's is. just. I remember asking um, that came up in the conference call with Dave Heakey last year, then you know after they announced the field, and this is this guy, yeah, we we brought it up, but there's no real motivation to do it. It's like, come on. I guess my, my they do it in softball. Yeah, they so do. They can't say it's like to save money because I mean they do it in softball. <laughs> my my dream, I guess, would be to seed one to sixteen and to put super regionals at neutral sites, but that's just a dream. So hopefully, uh, anyway, hopefully uh, yeah, we can avoid could, Miami. Could a little rant on that one. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully we can avoid Miami and Florida in, in the postseason until until Omaha, which we were able to do. This we did last season. year. Yeah. So. We were, and uh, said we got my, uh, Florida and Florida State in a, a very non-competitive, surprisingly non-competitive Super Bowl. Well, I mean, if they, if it had been Miami and Florida, that would have been non-competitive. Also, would have been <laughs> also they, proved they, to be they non-competitive. Played, they were in the same pool in Omaha. They played twice, and that was Florida the, won by a combined like. 15 runs yeah, in the two Yeah, not days. go well for the Canes. Uh, so Florida, uh, going back to... They'd probably rather just be on the other side of the bracket this year. Yeah, going back to uh, where we were at the start of this, uh, Florida, very good, and uh, best team in the state, and I guess in the country as well. 
rounding out the top ten, you know, we got Oklahoma State, we got UCLA, uh, moving on, LSU, Houston, Louisiana Lafayette, Oregon, and Michigan, and then Southern Cal checking in at 16. So I guess uh, that next group is kind of the what, what we think is uh, super regional teams. Um, potential hosts and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, you know, could see uh, could see some fun some fun regionals uh, there at the, those home parks. And uh, you know, we, we don't want to uh, break down all twenty five teams. Uh, we'd be here a long time. You know, but some of these teams definitely are, are worth talking about. And you know, when you look at a team like LSU, I, I think that's just one of the most fascinating teams. Uh, this season, and one of the hardest the, to figure out how to rank them right now, they return almost their entire pitching staff, uh, but they lost eight of nine starters in, in their lineup. And included in that is Alex Bregman, the, the number two overall pick, and frankly, maybe the most important player on any one team in, in college baseball. I mean, Andrew Benintendi at Arkansas certainly would be in contention for that, but Alex Bregman just was the, the heart and soul of that LSU team last year. And he's gone. And, uh, you know, so they lost four seniors, and they lost four underclassmen to the draft. But they bring back Alex Lane, who had a case to be uh, freshman of the year. He went 12-0 with a sub-2 ERA in the SEC. That's pretty good. And Jared Pochet, their, uh, who was their Friday starter last year, won nine games. He's won 18 games in his first two years at LSU. So they got one of the best one-two punches in the country, but it's just a matter of, can the young players on the offensive side, you know, contribute quickly? And it's not going to be a bunch of freshmen. They had the number one recruiting class in the country two years ago. Those guys are sophomores now. It's going to kind of be incumbent on them, more, even more than the freshmen uh, that they brought in this year, who are also very good. You know, but what, what do you guys make of LSU? You know, they obviously ended the season in Omaha last year, and, and now they have – a little bit of a, a retooling project there for Palmineri. Yeah, I can't remember the last time a, a team only brought one be- only brought back one regular position player. I'll say they do have other guys that played, but Jake Fraley being the only true starter coming back in the lineup. I mean, that's. I mean, I mean like we said, I mean they're up here because they do have talent. They have a ton of pitching. Um, I mean, and, and just kind of look at some of these guys. I mean, I know they like uh, Mike Papierski a lot, the catcher who's the you know was kind of their backup last year. Um, so he'll he'll be a big part of it, and they've got you know Kramer Robertson's a guy that played you know an athletic dude at second base. So I mean they've got you know the tools that are there. Like it's, it's kind of obviously they have some questions to answer just as far as how how this kind of all comes together offensively. But I mean yeah, you look at that pitching staff. I mean that's that's enough to carry you through some weekends where you're probably not going to score a lot of runs in the SEC. You can but you can win some three to two, two to one type games with those guys. Yeah, I would certainly put their pitching staff up there with anyone else in the SEC. I mean, it's it's a very very strong staff, and you know, Alex Lang was. I mean, you you read those numbers; they're it's just kind of insane to go twelve and zero, one point nine seven in the SEC. I mean, as a freshman, you know, let alone anyone doing that is is incredible. So you know, I I expect maybe not a twelve and zero year, but <laughs> another strong year out of him. I mean, he's got the stuff and the poise, obviously. So I think it's kind of a similar situation in some ways to what Vanderbilt is going through this year. Obviously, you know, there's there's more turnover here with LSU, you know, looking at their starting lineup, but 
you know, there, there is going to be an adjustment period, I'm sure, there. But, you know, just like with Vanderbilt, you know, with this coaching staff and just the amount of sheer talent that they have, you know, it's not going to be a surprise at all to look up and see them, you know, maybe in a Super Regional or, you know, possibly even in Omaha if they put all the pieces together in the right way. One thing about Alex Lane and trying to repeat that season, you know, I, when, when I spoke with, with Coach Maneri, you know, he, he, he mentioned, you know, just how difficult it's going to be to, to improve on that. It, it's almost impossible, right, 12-0, 1.97. And, but, you know, he thinks Alex Lane has gotten better. You know, he, he thinks that working with uh, Alan Dunn, LSU's great pitching coach, uh, you know, and being a year older, a year more experienced, that, that Alex Lane is a better pitcher now than he was last year. And that's kind of crazy to imagine, but, you know, there, there's no reason why it couldn't be true. Um, you know, he, he's had time to, to improve and, and, and to work on some things, and they don't know which one of them is going to go out there on Friday nights yet, but I don't think there's a wrong choice between Poche and and Lane, you've got the experience uh, with both of them, and, and both of them are are great draft prospects. Uh, Lane, obviously, not until next year, but but Poche has uh, really come on. Scouts liked him in the fall, maybe a little more than they had. You know, finding a little more velocity, and uh, you know he's going to be a pretty good draft pick himself this year. Uh, you know, and, and Mike, I, I know you, uh, you you're pretty excited about what UCLA has been able to to put together. They've got a bit of a retool themselves. Uh, you know, lose James Caprillion, lose uh, Kevin Kramer, their shortstop, and and David Berg. Obviously, their their closer is now gone uh, as well. But you know, they they brought in another highly ranked recruiting class. That's what John Savage does out there. He just finds all the really good <laughs> Southern California kids and gets them to UCLA. And and so they're uh, they're a little bit like like Virginia and Vanderbilt here. That you know, yeah, they lost some, but what they have coming in is is definitely going to make up for that. Right, right. I mean, in a lot of ways, they did kind of lose the core of the team, you know, losing Kramer, losing Caprillion, you know, Watson, guys like that. But, you know, they do bring back a lot, too. I mean, you know, there's a veteran presence there, with, especially in the outfield with Christophe Bono and Brett Stevens and Court Peterson. And then bringing back Eric Filia uh, as well. He's missed the past two years, you know, one with injury, one because of academic suspension. You know, bringing him back after a, a big summer in the Northwoods League, he's swinging the bat really, really well. I mean, he could help make up for, for the loss, you know, in offense that they get from losing some of those guys. You know, there, there's a lot of talent there. I think they're expecting more out of Sean Bouchard, who had a kind of a, a rough freshman year. They're moving him to first base, flip-flopping him with Persico, who's moving to third, who, you know, they're, they're kind of excited about as well as a guy who could certainly help his prospect status playing at third base. So I think they're, they're going to lose a, a little, you know, offensive firepower. Last year they were more of an offensive club than I think many are used to seeing out of UCLA. The past few years they've really thrived on pitching, and, and I think it's going to be pitching that's going to carry them ultimately again. You know, even though they lose, even though they lose Poteet and, and Caprillion and Watson, they have Griffin Canning coming back who was excellent as a freshman last year and a guy who really knows what he's doing on the mound. Uh, they're moving Grant Dyer from a setup role to the rotation, and they think he's taking a big jump. Uh, a guy who's you know ninety ninety three, he's got a a power curveball, and he, he's tinkering with a, a cutter and a, and a developing changeup as well. And you know he's a guy who could you know junior year who could emerge as a as a as a significant draft prospect. And then 
you know, they have a couple of talented freshmen as well. You know, Kyle, Kyle Molnar is a little bit ahead of, of Justin Hooper in terms of polish at this point, and he's projected as the Sunday guy. But even though they're going to they're gonna miss Berg, you know, arguably the, the, the greatest, you know, college closer of all time, I, I think their bullpen is still going to be fairly stacked. And, uh, you know, they bring back most of the bridge to Berg that they had last year, and, and they have um, – a recruit in uh, in uh, Brian Gatsby who is, is similar to Berg in some ways and, and his arm angle and uh, his ability to to give hitters a different look in the back end. So I think there are a lot of tools there uh, at Savage's disposal that he can use, and I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be a very good club. I don't think they're the top team in the Pac-12 right now. I don't think you could say that with how much they've lost, but I, they could certainly work their way up there. So, uh, now Jim, let, let's talk about the top team in the Big 12. Yep. Uh, we got Oklahoma State as the, the Big 12 favorites. They're bringing back an experience club. Uh, they're, they're not going to have to worry about inexperience like some of these other teams. But you know, what, what makes the Cowboys this year the, the team to beat in the Big 12? Well, certainly the experience is a big part of it. They bring back, I think, their top three hitters. And you know, they, got, they get Donnie Walton back to be their senior shortstop, which was kind of a bonus. Um, he was... Remember what round it was? I mean, he was kind of like what, like a thirty-fifth round pick or something like that. But anyway, they get him back as a senior. You know, he's a huge part of that lineup. He's kind of the centerpiece. Um, and they, you know, Ryan Sluter, who was the number one prospect in the, um, the Cal Collegiate League. So they're just a. In la- I mean, they ex- expect to be kind of like they were last year. They're just very, a very diverse offensive team. They could score in a lot of different ways. They could hit home runs, they could play small ball, they should, and they should be uh, very athletic. They should be able to kind of do the same same kind of thing. They've got some junior college transfers they're excited about. So those guys should all be able to contribute. Guys like Garrett Garrett Bange, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but uh, you know, Colin Thoreau at catcher they're excited about. So they're a very balanced offensive team. And on the mound, you know, they lose Michael Freeman, you know, an All-American Big 12 pitcher of the year. But they should be all right. I mean, Michael, Bur- Michael Mertz, the guy coming off in – coming off injury last year, but he should be you know, moved to the front of the rotation. He's got good stuff. Um, you know, they're kind of sorting out the rest of the rotation and their bullpen because they did, they lose a couple of – they lost John Perrin, another starter, um, and their, um, they lost their closer as well. But, uh, I mean, they've got – you know, they've got the tools to work with. They've got the arms to be very good. They're just kind of sorting it out, but the pieces are there. You know, Josh Holliday is excited about their – all their, their – he thinks they can be as good on the mound as they were last year. And yeah, I mean the Big Twelve in general. I mean, obviously last year was a two horse two horse race, really, with them and uh, TCU. TCU would still be good. We still got them ranked, obviously. They're um, so we got the Cowboys ninth, TCU eighteenth. Obviously, it's going to be you know TCU is kind of a transition year. I would say they had a lot of seniors last year. They lose a lot on the mound. I mean, they'll still be talented. They did get um, uh, Mitch, Mitchell Traver back, which is kind of a bonus, but. Still, they're breaking in new starters. Uh, Brian Howard could be in there. They get Luke and Baker, a very talented freshman, to come to school. So that's a, that's big for them. But I mean, they lose you know Cody Jones, who was the Big Twelve Player of the Year. They lost several guys in that lineup. Um, Jeremy Fannion, their first baseman, was you know was their number two hole hitter in Omaha last year, if I remember right. So they're kind of going to need some guys to take on bigger roles. They do have Evan Skaug back, their catcher. Connor Juan Hainan was very good. Both those guys are sophomores. So they'll be kind of the, they'll probably be more of the centerpieces of the offense this year. I mean, TCU, they'll still be competitive. You know they'll figure it out on the mound. They always do with that. That I mean, it's a pitching park 
you know, kind of, it's kind of like Virginia. I mean, it's a pitching park, so that kind of gives them some margin for error. And they'll, honestly, they'll do, they do have some talent offensively. So they'll, I think they're still the number two team there. Um, Oklahoma's up there. They've got the top end talent with, you know, Alec Hansen and Sheldon Noisy. There some a lot of, some questions, you know, after that. It's, after that, but I mean, we think they'll be good. So we've got them there at uh, number 21. Um, the rest of the big, obviously the Big 12 was, it was an odd year last year, to say that, you know, to put it mildly. I mean, with, I mean, it would have been just a two-bid league if Texas doesn't win the conference tournament, which was just, I don't even know how to, it's just, it was just so weird that, you know, Oklahoma and Texas Tech both were good teams, but their RPIs got out of whack, so they were out of the mix, and, you know, I think both those, you know, Texas and Texas Tech should both be good again. I mean, Texas is kind of a interesting case, so there was a lot kind of, a lot kind of going around that program last year. They had to deal with some injuries in the middle of the year. They did play well at the end, winning that tournament. But and they, and they like their arms. They should they should be competitive again. They'll probably be a regional team. Uh, Texas Tech is kind of well, well they're they're talent they have the talent to be a regional team. Other than that, that's probably about it. West Virginia is kind of a sleeper, but yeah, I mean the Big Twelve. It could be you know you might be looking at a four bid league, but yeah. So at the top, pretty clearly got Oklahoma State. Then TCU and Oklahoma, probably the next tier. And then kind of Texas, Texas Tech, kind of as the other possible regional teams. And, you know, just kind of go down from there with the Baylors. And Baylor got a new coaching staff. And K-State, Kansas, all those teams kind of further further down. But, yeah, it's I mean, it's like it's Oklahoma State's pretty much the clear, uh, pretty much pretty clearly the team to beat. It is an interesting conference. Uh, and, and last year was just such a strange year you know, we're, we're looking for a little more normal year out of the Big 12, I guess. And, you know, but a, another conference that had a bit of a strange year was the Big 10, except theirs was... In a, a good way. In a, it, it was a strange year in a Very in a good way. way. Yeah, they get all those teams into regionals, you know, and uh, Maryland gets to super regionals, and uh, so did Illinois. Yes, Illinois, of course, the, the Big 10 champions, um, you know, winning, <laughs> with their massive winning streak in the middle of the year. There, there was a lot of there was a lot of good feeling about the Big Ten going into last season. You, you could kind of see that year, maybe not quite to that extent, but that that year coming. And I don't I don't know that we think that the Big Ten is going to be quite that good again this year. But I, I really do believe that the Big Ten is here to stay as a, a baseball conference that you know has to be cons- reckoned with. Uh, you know the the idea that it's just a one bid league anymore is you know I, I think those days are over. I, I think the conference and the schools have committed to to making the baseball programs better now that they've gotten the Big Ten Network money in and and everything else. And so this year we like Michigan to to as the favorite in the Big Ten. You know Michigan won the Big Ten tournament last year and they bring a lot back. Carmen Benedetti, uh, two way guy is a, a key for them and uh you know they, they bring starters back on the uh in, in the weekend and, and you know, it's a veteran group and uh coach eric backage you know has, has had a few years now at michigan to to get his recruits in and, and get these guys up to speed and, and I, I think the wolverines are, are looking pretty good it's a it's going to be a little little tight there at the top though i you know, Michigan checks in at 15, and we don't have a second Big Ten team in. Uh, we thought about Maryland. We considered we Maryland. Maryland is one of the last teams out of the mm-hmm. top 25. 
you know, and Mike Shawarin is a huge reason why uh, on Friday nights he's going to be Maryland is going to be very difficult to beat because they're going to throw Mike Shawarin. Uh, but you know, they lost a lot from last year's team. But I, I, I really do think that they have enough there that it's going to be a good team again. And you know, I would not be surprised to see them ranked later on this season. And you got um, you know a, a veteran club at Indiana. Uh, Big Ten coaches really like Illinois still, despite all the losses that they had uh, in the draft last year. And Iowa looks pretty good again as well. That That's another regional team from last year. And uh, yeah, so I, I think the Big Ten is, is going to be a fun league to watch. You know, there, there's a lot going on there. You know, right now it's only one team that we have ranked. But again, I, I think, you know, at various times during the year, you're going to see a, a few other Big Ten teams uh you know, get into the rankings. That covers the, uh, you know, the, the, the top half of this, this top 25. Um, moving on after, after Southern Cal at 16, we got Florida State, TCU, uh, North Carolina State, Mississippi State, Oklahoma, Cal State Fullerton, Coastal Carolina, uh, Mississippi, and Kentucky rounds it out at 25. Uh, you know, so who jumps out from, uh, from any of the rest of these teams for you guys? Well, certainly, I mean, NC State's got some balance. I've got a lot of guys back. Uh, Brian Brown at the top of that rotation. Um, it's going to be tough for him to be better than he was as a freshman. I think he had a 2 2.03 ERA or something like that. So he set a high bar. But, um, I mean, he's got – obviously, he's a great guy to have back. Corey Wilder, Johnny Piedmont, those guys have experience. Uh, lose Logan Ratledge in the lineup, but still they'll be a, a very good offensive team. You know, a lot of power with guys like, uh, you know, Joe Denan, Preston Palmero, those guys um, – you know, Xavier LeGrant's an interesting freshman. You know, Brock Deathridge is a guy they're excited about. So that'll be a good team. That'll be a good balanced team at the, uh, you know, in the AC, in the you know, kind of in that second group in the ACC. After you have the big three, and then you kind of, have, you know, FSU, NC State, and, you know, kind of throw, you know, in Georgia Tech, a team that we didn't rank, but we thought about, you know, excited about their offense. Um, so yeah, those certainly there's like kind of that next group in the ACC. Um, those teams should all be competitive. Kind of talked about Oklahoma. I mean, Fullerton, obviously that's interesting just because they, you know, they lose Eshelman and obviously they lost Justin, Justin Garza was out for a lot of last year. But that'll be, it'll be going to be interesting to see what they do offensively with losing, uh, you know, David, David Olmedo Barrera, who was kind of the linchpin of their offense last year. But that'll be a, that'll be an interesting team to watch. And Coastal's a, that's a, that's a program that's on its way back up. They had a couple lean years, but they got their new park, which is a, a beautiful new park, and that's just a team that turned. I mean, they're always, you know, they were a physical offensive team last year. Got to that that College Station Regional we talked about. They kind of maybe uh, were a little quiet there. Kind of got upstaged by Cal and A and M, but I mean, that's that's another team we expect to be back in the back in the mix. Yeah, uh, for me, you know, we had a there were there were quite a few teams we talked about for that number twenty five spot. We we eventually settled on Kentucky and. You know, obviously the SEC is a tough conference to navigate, but you look at what Kentucky brings back, and kind of similar to, to Louisville, you know, not far down the road, they have, you know, a returning senior pitcher that they probably didn't expect to have last year around this time, and, and Kyle Cody, and, you know, he's a guy who has a chip on his shoulder, he has a lot to prove, he had, you know, a down year last year, he seemed to kind of put it together at the end, though, and he's a guy with, 
you know, a plus fastball. He's, he's going to touch the mid the mid nineties, and if he can improve his command and, and continue to work on his off speed pitches and breaking ball, I mean, he could be a force, you know, in the Sunday spot in that rotation. You know, they also returned Zach Brown, a junior who also has you know tremendous stuff and is the ace of that staff and a veteran and, and Dustin Begg. So it's a it's a strong weekend rotation and, and a veteran weekend rotation, and, and they bring back a lot of veterans as well in the in the starting lineup. You know, led by Javon Shelby. You know the Shelby family has has been a part of Kentucky for a while now, and he's just the the latest in a long line, and is you know kind of the leader of that team. You know it's an interesting group and 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 a, and a team that was right on the borderline last year and 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 came you know very close last year. And, and you know I know just from from talking to talking to Kyle Cody and a couple players on the team, um, they have Omaha on their mind. You know they've they've said they've been saying the, the word Omaha, you know, maybe 10 times more than they've ever said it in, in an off season, which is, you know, it's not something you, you hear a lot around the Kentucky baseball program. So there's some excitement there. You know, they're an intriguing team. You know, obviously they're at the very back of our top 25 and, you know, you could see them moving in either direction, but they're certainly a team to keep an eye on in, in a crowded SEC as always. This year, the SEC is really going to be a tough league. Um, you know, perhaps even more so than usual. The depth in the league uh, is probably as good as it's been in a while. And, you know, I, you, you look at a team like Mississippi State, who we have at, at number 20, and if you're looking for a team here in the last half or the, the last, you know, five to ten teams that that maybe could jump into the top half of the rankings or the top ten by the end of the year, you know, I, I think they're a candidate for that. They had a, a very poor year last year, had to battle a lot of injuries last year, but you know now that's over, and guys are, are back to, to health, and they brought in uh, an outstanding recruiting class that's going to give them uh, some immediate help, and you know, as, as the season goes on and, and these guys learn how to play with each other, you know, I, I think Mississippi State is going to be a team that by the time conference play rolls around, you're going to have to to really consider, and, and they're going to be a, a you know one of the better teams in, in the conference potentially. You know they do lose Butch Thompson, their outstanding pitching coach. You know goes and becomes the the coach at Auburn, but they bring in Wes Johnson, you know who had been at, at Dallas Baptist, and Butch Thompson is is an outstanding coach, but but Wes Johnson is uh, going to do a, a good job with that pitching staff himself, I think. So, yeah, I, I think Mississippi State is an intriguing team down here. You know, Jim, you mentioned Coastal, and uh, you know, this might be Coastal's best team since 2010. And that was obviously an outstanding team, but th- this is a team that, that maybe is, is going to push them over the hump. You know, they've been uh, close to Omaha or, or thought they you know, thought it was Omaha contenders a few times, and and maybe this is this is that level of team again. You know, Florida State lost a lot, but they're kind of like some of these other teams we've talked about. You know, there's talent there, and and you know, they they should be pretty good once they once they all figure out how how they fit into the the open roles. So I, there's a lot of really talented teams down here, and uh, you know it's going to be intriguing to see. So I guess before we wrap this up, just what is. Uh, how do you guys feel, you know, going into the season? What what are you most, uh, you know, looking forward to this year? You know, I I think, uh, I I think I think for me, uh, one thing at least is, you know, the obviously last year a lot of talk was about the ball and how that would impact the game and whether it'd be more offensive and 
you know, it was, you know, it, I think we saw some good results with that and be curious to see, you know, if, if that was an operation, if that was a, a trend, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to see, you know, what the results are like this year with that. That That's certainly something that I'm looking for. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I wonder if, you know, if we do have another cold winter, you know, we do have an issue there. I wonder if there'll be, you know, more momentum for that push it back movement. I don't, I don't envision that necessarily, but, you know, it's one of the things I'm kind of curious to see as well as we get started here. I mean, well, obviously beer sales in Omaha, of course. <laughs> uh, um, let's kind of see whoever the, you know, last year at Illinois kind of was that surprise team. I mean, it's kind of, you know, that was unranked and obviously had an outstanding year. Just kind of see who, you know, who's going to be that team this year. I mean, that's, you know, Iowa was another team. I- Iowa was another team that was kind of like that. Um, Maryland a couple years ago, not to limit it to Big Ten teams, but, you know, who's going to be that team that jumps out, has a, you know, kind of makes a surprising run to Supers or to Omaha or what have you? I mean, you know, kind of we've talked about, um, you know, we didn't rank Arkansas. I know that's kind of a, like you've talked talked during our meeting with, with about them, Teddy, as kind of your sleeper team. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of what I'm, uh, that's what I'm most curious to see, who is just kind of who's the surprise. And certainly, you know, what happens with the, uh, you know, with the new, they're not, if we can still call them the new baseballs, they're, two years old now but uh, just how does that you know does that trend continue um that's certainly going to be something to keep monitoring um you know and then once we do get to omaha aside from them selling beer i mean what obviously the television ratings were down last year in the finals so that was kind of a a little i don't know if i say concerning but it's kind of jumped out that it was i remember writing the the finals between virginia and um vandy were outrated by the Finals of the Women's World Series, uh, softball World Series. So I mean, I was maybe if you get you know LSU and Texas or something against each other, maybe it'd be different. But you know, how will that how will that play? Will the games be any quicker? Because last year those games, even I don't think they've tried to speed them up, but they still kind of dragged. So how will that pan out? You know, so that's that's kind of what obviously that's further down the road. But those are things I'm uh, kind of curious to see how they how they go. Yeah, I think that is an interesting point about the, the ratings and the pace of play. And I think that is, that's something that I'm, I'm curious to see as well. Uh, you know, obviously Virginia and Vanderbilt uh, are marquee programs in college baseball, but uh, we don't typically think of those schools as, as necessarily having you know, the, the yeah, rapid fan base yeah. of, of an LSU or, or a Tennessee or um, you know, a Texas or, or any of those schools really. And part of that is just that Vanderbilt is a small private school, and there are just only so many Vanderbilt alumni out there uh, relative to some of these other schools. So it, if we get a different finals, uh, we haven't in a couple of years, but if we get a different finals, it will be interesting to see what the ratings do. And pace of play is going to be a thing that, that's talked about again, I, I would imagine. Uh, Mike mentioned the, the winner and the, the push-it-back movement, and uh, I, I guess, I'm guessing we'll hear more about that. We've been hearing about that for a long time, so that's not going away. Honestly, I, I, I we just had the news with the you know the agent stuff, I and mean, that's a big development for college base. Just kind of, obviously, there are bigger picture things afoot here. That I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting interesting direction to see where where college baseball is heading. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I I think one of the things I'm excited about is uh, you know just seeing. All the freshmen this year. I, I I feel like this year there there are a lot of really potential potentially impactful freshmen on some really good teams too. 
Uh, you know, when we talked about TCU, I mentioned Luke and Baker, who, um, you know, is an incredible two-way talent and, you know, told teams that he didn't want to get drafted or that he didn't intend to sign if he got drafted. And so he's at TCU now, and they're, they're going to rely on him a lot. And it seems like every Pac-12 team, when I was doing recruiting rankings, brought in their one of their top recruits, UCLA, brought in, you know, Hooper and Molnar, and Washington got Joe Demers, and Oregon State got Nick Madrigal and, and Caden Grenier. And, you know, you, you just look up and down the conference, and, and they all pulled in the, these incredible players. Florida and Vanderbilt, obviously the top two recruiting classes in the country, you know, were, were loaded. And Georgia Tech brought in recruits. You know, we mentioned them as a team we considered, and, and their freshman class is, is a big part of that. I mentioned it with Mississippi State. I mean, there are just a lot of really good young players in college baseball that, that I'm excited to see how they, uh, how they make that adjustment. And, and that, that's one thing that we're definitely going to be talking about over, over the next few months. I'm also curious to see how some of the top arms that we've talked about fair this year because last year it seemed like there was just a rash of injuries and ineffectiveness with a lot of the top arms and you know one week you know Matchwell was the top guy the next week it's Funkhouse the next week it's Dylan Tate you know just a lot of going back and forth I'm kind of curious to see you know first of all how guys like Funkhauser and, and, and Cody back you know come back this year and then you know AJ Puck how he does obviously you know last year dealing with that suspension early on but He's got the stuff to, to be an elite guy and, you know, potentially the number one overall pick. So just kind of curious to see how those arms do. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the college baseball as a whole stays away from the Tommy John injuries that, you know, we saw last year. That's kind of what I'm looking at, too. Yeah, hopefully it's a it's a healthier spring uh, for everyone. A less snowy spring. Yes. Yeah. Yes, warmer and more health. That would be that would be fantastic. Uh, you know, last year's draft, uh, you know, obviously when we were talking about that, it was – it was constantly talking about like who was missing in action and, and who was who was coming back from injury and, and, and who was out for the year. Uh, so hopefully we can avoid that this year, uh, on, both on the college and the high school side. So we'll be back uh, in, in the next over the next few weeks to to continue with our, our college preview content uh, again um, through the rest of this week over at baseballamerica.com. You can. Uh, see capsules uh, for each of the top 25 teams next week we'll have our all-america teams and uh, we'll probably we'll probably be back talking about those on the on the podcast and then the uh, conference previews start and then before you know it it'll be february 19 and it'll be opening day and uh, we'll be back out at the ballpark and we'll, we'll have we'll have actual baseball to talk about and right now it's exciting to talk about this preview stuff but when we have actual baseball to talk about it'll be even better you know that's coming very soon so it, it's a great time to to be reading baseball america to to subscribe to baseball america if you don't already and uh you know hopefully you guys uh out there will we'll enjoy the all the all the content that that's coming your way uh, over at baseballamerica.com and, and in the magazine for uh, for the college preview. So uh, you know, thank you for listening. Thanks to to Jim and Mike for for joining me here. We'll have another college podcast coming to you soon. So uh, go out there, and enjoy the baseball, and thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.